What's up, guys? Welcome to CSU Stands Business Podcast. My name is New. I'll be one of your hosts. And I'm Alyssa Aguiar, one of your other hosts. All right. And today we have two very special guests with us. Uh, we have Dr. Tristan Hassel and... Professor Anelli is here also from MJC. Um, Perfect. So lucky to have them. Right on, right on. Say what's up, guys. What's up, guys? Hey, how you doing? Perfect, perfect. So if you guys don't know about uh, Dr. Tristan Hassel, uh, he teaches uh, business ethics here on campus. Highly recommended class. And if you're taking religion at MJC, I would highly recommend that as well. That's his expertise. Absolutely. That's his subject. For sure, for sure. Well, without further ado, Alyssa, you should go ahead and start off the show. All right, so let's just go ahead and dive right in. Um, okay, so as of yesterday, May 2nd, the GOP does not have the votes to pass their health care bill. Um, if we are to examine the current state of government's provisional health care, the ACA, in ethical terms, what should stay and what should go from the current health care act? Need ideas. I kind of want to get the professor's perspective on this. Before you go, okay. Well, I mean, well, because, I mean, we're, we're a business podcast, but yet at the same time, this is going to affect everybody, not just business-wise, but ethically as well, so... So you're saying maybe look at the consequences Absolutely. more? Absolutely. I think everything matters in this. It's all on the table, so... I think uh, this is Bill. I think that uh, <laughs> healthcare is a uh, if a society can afford it, healthcare would be a basic right for everyone. I, I think it should be. <clears throat> and I think our society. Tell me can about afford if it. they can afford it. So you would look at um, so there's something called the Gini co- the Gini coefficient, which measures inequality, and we're one of the most unequal uh, countries in the first world. So wow. when it, when I'm, what I mean is something like the top 5% own 50% of the wealth. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have the wealth for everyone to have health care right. in this country. And in Northern Europe, they do it. Most of Europe has this. Right. Northern Europe is able to provide health care to everyone. Wow. So, so we know we can do it. Right. And something like maybe single payer, there might be more efficient ways to do it. Right. And we also know the history of healthcare. You know, it starts with uh, we're the only country where it was employer based. Huh. Really? Goes, yeah, I didn't know that. That goes that's back to World War II. So um, that's a weird way to do it. So all the other, uh, after World War II, most of the other first world countries um, offered healthcare through, um, through the state. So Germany has a kind of a private model. I think England does, but other Northern European countries offer it through the primarily through the government. So everyone has is covered. So there's no reason why we shouldn't cover everybody. Yeah, and Paul Ryan keeps bringing up those savings plans. Like mm-hmm. where it, what would it be again? It was like a low interest rate for them to save money. And it's like, okay, that works good if you have enough money to save. But if you're somebody who doesn't have enough money to save, then I don't see how that's really going to help you recover any costs, like in the long run. Right. I, I think it's a, I mean, it should be in the Constitution to have your health fully covered for. I mean, whether whether or not, you know, someone is paying for it, because, I mean. It's I, like we're the only ones that haven't figured this out yet or right. something. Right. It's like, I mean, Canada's got it. I mean, everyone around us has it. It's just the United States can't seem to figure it out. I don't know if it's because of the capitalistic perspective of, of whatnot, or I would say almost anyone in the, you know, in the 5% is, is more like, you know, why am I going to cover someone's health care? when they should be covering it themselves. But I think that's a part of the pursuit of happiness, you know? Like, it, it should be a part of your happiness to, to be guaranteed that, that health. You have to uh, be alive in order to be happy? Absolutely, yeah, you can't be dead. Nor you can't be sick on a, I mean, who's happy when they're sick on, their, right. on a, you know, 
on a hospital bed. Um, and I think like recently Jimmy Kimmel came out and talked about the bill and how about he had about his son who had uh, what heart cancer I believe. I didn't watch it, but I, I did hear that he. Oh, I saw that last night. That was yeah, funny. I mean, he was oh. very emotional about it. But when it's certain things like that, where you're born with a pre, you know, a a a condition before you're even born, mm-hmm. well, where do you go from that? That's you know? one thing that just has to stay. I feel like that should be non-negotiable. Right, okay. and, and with with like standard classic way of you know being approved for healthcare or not, he wouldn't be approved for insurance because of his pre-existing conditions and whatnot. So. I like that Jimmy Kimmel was so aware that he probably is in a higher tax bracket because he went into like that no parent that doesn't have that kind of income shouldn't be scared of like losing their child because they can't get coverage. So right. like I feel like it was important that he went into that. And right. we should maybe I should post that on the Facebook page. That yeah. was really good. Yeah, I think, yeah. So the Facebook page, what's the Facebook page? The NorCal Philosophy page. And Applied Ethics, yeah. And Applied so, Ethics, yeah. Check that uh, yeah. out, guys. If NorCal you guys... Philosophy and Applied Ethics. Trust me, <laughs> hop on that and you'll pass your business ethics class with For sure. Colors. There's so many examples on there. I cannot guarantee that. <laughs> okay, maybe not. It may help you, though. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that, that you mentioned is uh, the pre-existing conditions clause, mm-hmm. but that's actually what's on the table right now. Um to allow vouchers for states who want to uh, get 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 rid of that, they'll be able to apply for a waiver from the federal government, hmm. um, and they can then deny within the state uh, coverage to anyone with a pre-existing condition, uh, as long as they're approved by the Trump administration. So that's scary. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a lot of people are talking as if the new iteration of the plan is is better. Um, the other one was was blocked. Um, not by Democrats necessarily, but also by um, the Freedom Caucus. Mm-hmm. Is, that what, is that what they're called, the Freedom Caucus? I think so. Yeah. Um, so they 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 blocked it because they thought it wasn't conservative enough. Uh, Democrats. The moderates, yeah, the moderates and the moderates thought it was too conservative, and the Freedom Caucus thought it was uh, yeah. too uh, still too liberal. And some yeah. senators feel like it should just be completely the ACA should. Sh- just be completely repealed and just start over mm-hmm. instead of like trying to piece together keeping. So what we had before was thirty uh, percent American public didn't have health care. And now it's like now a really it's down high to maybe five percent right? down. See that. So we wow. so Obamacare worked. I mean, it's you went from thirty percent uninsured to five percent uninsured. And they love to complain about the mandate, but the mandate actually keeps people in the system. You have to right? have a mandate because if you have so many people in the system, then you're able to afford. Right, so you have to have a mandate. Um, It forces young people in the system is what it does. The problem for me with Obamacare is uh, there are still a lot of people who uh, still had to pay maybe $300 a month for their health insurance, Hmm. who maybe are making $60,000, $70,000 a year. They have a couple of kids. They're still paying $300 a month for it. So I I just don't – I think we have the means. I think we're an amazing country, and we have great wealth. And we can provide through a single payer plan healthcare to everybody. Well, you don't pay anything. Yeah, where it's not necessarily no. predicated and on an employer. You know, if somebody works hard, plan. anybody who works really hard, and they show up, and they put in a good solid eight hours, mm-hmm. and they've got kids. I, I think it's a basic you know, aspect of the social contract, a basic right that they'll be able to. If they break their leg. And what would you say to people who would say that that's a communist position, that you have the federal government nationalizing <clears throat> what's currently a private industry? A communist position is where you don't have any uh, private enterprise at all. 
But you get to pick and choose yeah. your plan somewhat, right? With a, with the. So you could have something like a single basic. payer uh, basic plan that mm -hmm. covers everything, and then if you want the deluxe stuff, you have a bunch of things that are more deluxe than. So you're pick picking and choosing to some degree. It's not like this is the plan everyone You get gets, basic and that's care. It. Yeah. So if you have, um, so yeah, there might be some rationing. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you have uh, lung cancer, um, we'll treat you. If you break your leg, we'll treat you. Um, if you have tooth decay and you have cavities, um, you can you can get treated. Oh, I didn't know that it spanned to dental too. I don't think it does. No, I, I think, don't think it does. I think that's <laughs> oh, my I was point. Say. Yeah, Dental yeah, should be covered too. Yeah, because yeah, I've read like it. So cosmetic, maybe cosmetic stuff or you know cosmetic. Mm. You might do cosmetic treatments are uncovered, but um, we have the money to do it as a country. We have the wealth. To do we just it. need to allocate it properly. We'd have to have higher taxes on the top. Five ten percent, and we don't want to do that. And that actually leads me to my next question. So, um, Trump administration released their budget. It's uh, public information now. I think they're still voting on it, right? I think they did a vote yesterday, May second. Uh, they're still going to be doing it. He's lowering taxes for the top uh, X amount of percent, and a lot of people are angry about that. Uh, namely, Senator Elizabeth Warren, but. He's, he says he's still going to push through with it. So, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be implications for people in the middle class and lower class. So hopefully the votes will pull through on that one. Uh, well, the thing about, like, lowering taxes for the upper class is, well, it has to go somewhere. If you're going to lower it at one place, it's going to have to redistrib redistribute on the other side as a teeter-totter, you know. So if they decrease it for the upper class, that only means it's going to have to increase either with the middle class or the lower class. Um, and I think I heard it somewhere where he introduced the, the three bracket plan instead of eight or something like that now. Well, is that, I mean, that, I think I think what you said is true. Um, the, the other thing you could do is reduce spending somewhere else, right? right? So part of what they're doing is they're trying to offset the tax reductions by um, cutting funding to, to the sciences or to the arts. Um, after school programs is one right. of them. After school programs, uh, Meals on Wheels, famously. Uh, well, right. a the lot of that, that is matter. to budget the, he's cutting in a lot of other areas because he wants to still build, the, I think it was 378, uh, was that billion dollars for the wall? Or it might have been million. I'll so the wall's the off the table for now, paying for the wall. Yeah. They want to cut the corporate tape uh, rate down to 15%. Hmm. Uh, while the average taxpayer is still paying maybe 25-30%. Um, cutting the um, arts, the National Endowment for Arts, would be like 0.001%. That's not going to give you anything. Hmm. So when they're cutting the arts and saying that's how they're going to get the money, that's a lie. <laughs> that's simply a lie. That's wow. an excuse to go after the arts. They're not going to get any money out of that because there's so little that we put into it anyway. They're also increasing uh, spending to the military, right? Right, right, yeah, so right. Substantially. So yeah. if he does that, it means that we have a much higher deficit. Now, their argument is that by cutting the rates, uh, corporate tax rates, down to 15% and, um, and cutting taxes on the very wealthy, the argument is that that's going to stimulate the economy. And if it stimulates the economy, it means that we'll have uh, uh, more business activity and more profit. And that means more tax revenues. So there is something to that argument, that if you cut taxes on the very wealthy and corporations, you generate more business activity, which means you have, um, you know, you now have more taxes coming in. The problem is, 
that when they, what they do with these measures in Congress is they have them vetted by the CBO, the Congressional Budget Organization, mm -hmm. and when they look at those figures, uh, any taxing, any increase in revenues from increased business activity because of taxes is not sufficient to make up the huge deficit shortfall that will happen. I think he already had an engineer, that, or I think it was um, either, I think it was CNN that had an engineer come out to discuss what it would take to build this wall, like in practical terms mm -hmm. as far as time frame. And the engineer said he thought it would way exceed the time of an administration to, to get it going and get it built and everything. So I'm not even sure how practical that is, because if we, if there's a Democratic president, you know, in 2020, then would they still continue the wall? I mean, if it's a partial completion, that's right. it's a whole other issue. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, if, if President Trump actually really did want to drive the economy, because from what I understand of how corporations work, there's many loopholes in, in between them where you can almost evade a lot of taxes, regardless of how large the tax is, because corporations get taxed after, exp after their expenses. Mm -hmm. Well, what can you classify as expense? Now, with expenses, you could literally... There's so many great, great areas within corporations where That's true. it's going to be hard to justify what's taxable and what's not. Now, if he really did want to drive the economy and, and initially, you know, boost the economy, it, it would be to drive competition. And that means allowing smaller startup companies to flourish more, which therefore brings more competition to the economy and then fully driving the economy by having more people involved within the economy. That would truly, you know, drive the economy versus going, okay, let's let's give some tax breaks to some large corporates. Well, guess what? Large corporations, if they become a monopoly, that doesn't drive the economy anymore. It becomes where they, where the government has to depend on these, you know, monopolies. Yeah, it makes it more problematic. Right, right. Like just like the two thousand eight incident with all these banks. Well, a lot of these banks are driven and they're held together by the government. So once they crumble. Who's going to bail them out? The government. And we can't have that with, you know, other larger corporations as well, where they become entities tied in with government. If he truly wanted it to boost the economy from a business standpoint, it would be to drive competition and not necessarily cut tax. Yeah, I feel like they need to look at that again. See, I thought that he, one thing that was reassuring is that he would have a great team. Like maybe he would have some experts there or people from his personal businesses. Even maybe it seems like he was maybe doing that, taking meetings right. that might advise him on what to do and as far as fiscal matters but it seems like um for the most part he's uh, another thing i had written down that he's hiring a lot of people he knows personally like family mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. like that I mean, uh, namely jared kushner who i don't know how he's doing a huge budget for the west wing and i'm not right. sure he has uh, they're saying he doesn't have the experience with that type of budgeting so um, yeah, I mean, I think we keep putting a lot of the focus on what it is that Trump is doing. Um, and he just seems so incredibly incompetent. <laughs> um, Justin, I mean... Let's just call the kettle black. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it, it, is, it isn't just the people that he surrounded himself with. It's not just um, his own position. It seems to be that um, all of the, 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 the big changes, you know, he wrote in on this wave of populism where... Um, we're going to drain the swamp and all these kinds of things. And um, now Trump's rhetoric, I think, is different than the kind of thing that we heard under Obama. But I'm not actually seeing much 
in terms of policy that's that different from the previous administration, um, to be completely honest. Really? I mean, hmm. um, all of the things that were huge, that we're going to take a strong position on China, that's gone. Now we need China to help us uh, stand against the specter of North Korea nuclear armament, right? right. Uh, we've got um, all of these other uh, you know, promises. The wall is gone now. Um, we have... Um, just about every every uh, thing that was on his agenda, which was which was so radical, seems to just be more of the same. That we're going to continue bombing uh, Syria mm-hmm. and in the name of ISIS, but then at the same time, the only thing that kind of seems uh, to be standardized is that the best option in this 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 fight is that Assad stays in power. I mean, these are just continuation of policies that we have seen under Obama, and he seems to find himself in the same position. The, the budget that we were just talking about, going to Congress, it's not Trump's budget. This is a, a budget that's been put together by Paul Ryan. His and the, and, yeah. the, and, the, and all of the Republicans in Congress, and it's very different from what uh, Trump, Trump wanted. He may sign it for them, um, but that's really the only input that he's had. It's, it's such a large deviation from um, his own plan. So I think he's facing... Um, a Congress which is used to blocking presidents who are governing based upon executive orders and bureaucratic fiat and uh, what we're seeing here is is, uh, in many ways a continuation of uh, the same kind of policies for most people um, that we saw under under Obama. But the taxing is going to work differently, right? Because I don't think under the Obama administration we had, does anybody remember what it was with with the Congressional Budget Office through Obama administration? It's been a long time ago. I don't think he, (laughs) I don't think the taxing was the same for the highest tax bracket. He wasn't advocating uh, cutting corporate taxes to 15%. Oh, he wasn't? No. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't uh, advocating getting rid of the National Endowment for the Arts or severely cutting their funding. He wasn't advocating... um, well, he was going to support. He was going to shore up and fix Obamacare. So, um, so yeah. But to I, be fair, Obamacare yeah, is a Republican like really plan, different. right? It is. Like it goes yeah. back yeah, to I mean, Romney yeah. in Massachusetts. Yeah. It's true. Um, but uh, but the Republican plan, yeah, it comes from Romney. Romney brought that up in the Romney debate. Romney wouldn't several be considered times. a Republican today by Republicans. So. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's like a shattered. I don't. It's 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 hard to say Republican or Democrat, but. There's a shattered Republican kind of facade. I mean, this, this is what we've seen is we thought Trump would be um, me when I say we we the people on the left thought that Trump was going to be this massive catastrophe because he was going to be coronated by the Republicans in Congress. Um, and they've been blocking him every step of the way mm-hmm. in the same way that the Democrats are because they're so divided. Yeah, he's right. facing a lot of opposition from both it's sides. It's almost like having three parties. So he's also <laughs> flip-flopping a lot like on NAFTA. He's flip-flopped that. Yep. He was saying he's get rid of NAFTA. Now he's not because he listened to his Republican ag interests. <laughs> uh, on China, he was really hard in China, suddenly because of North Korea. Now he's being friendly with China. Uh, the wall, those are Republicans in the border states saying we don't want to pay for the wall. We are uncomfortable with this wall. So there are these um, – so he hasn't been able to implement his agenda, which is un- arguably incoherent anyway. But there is one. Well, first but there Mexico was one huge. I think the number one place where he is radically different from Obama is climate change. Oh yeah. So Completely. we have about a uh, because of physics and chemistry. We have about a fifteen twenty year period 
to radically reduce carbon emissions. Um, and we'll do it. I'm sure we'll at some point we'll do that. But what he's doing is uh, by eliminating the EPA, um, by uh, gutting the clean power plan, uh, it's projected that we're going to increase our carbon emissions significantly. Right, because he wants to cut the budget for those. And because of companies. physics and chemistry, that means that everything else that happens could be reversed later on, but not that because of physics and chemistry. That means that we're looking at it possibly by 2100, the oceans being 10 feet higher. That means by 2050, the oceans might be two feet higher. If you know what that means, it means that every coastal city will, will be gone. And that's, they're projecting what year for that? For the well, 20, if the oceans go up 10 feet, this is a possibility. They don't know for sure. I mean, it's, you know. Well, I know we, they've been doing tests incrementally throughout to so see the it's, change. It's, it's complicated, but it's uh, by 2100, it's a good possibility if we don't start reducing carbon now that the oceans will be 10 feet higher. 10 feet. And Obama definitely supported that. I remember, did you guys no, see that? No, Obama definitely was supporting. He reducing. did that documentary also. So, because of Obama, you have um, a, a <clears throat> mileage for cars should be 55 miles per gallon by, I think it was 2030. He's going to, Trump's going to gut that. Um, uh, also, and it's true, that the issue with coal, uh, Trump said, he, it was, it's wrong, that, um, that Obama was just getting, that the reason that coal plants are disappearing is because Obama was, um, <coughs> um, you know, making them illegal to operate. That's not true, it's because mm. they couldn't compete with natural gas. So it is, it is complicated. I mean, there are uh, things that are still happening in a good way. For example, electric cars and so forth. But if Hillary were in place, that, if, I believe that would have stayed And she continued Obama's policies. Mm -hmm. um, we'd be looking at a much better environment in the future. So that's going to be probably the number one impact. I think that's also why she lost as well. Because if you think about it, a big can't, a part of Trump's campaign was to restore the coal mining factories. And there are cities that literally that's all they knew how to do. You know, when they were, their granddad did it, their father did it, and they're doing it now. And because of all these new technologies like solar wind power, um, and these things are just putting the coal business out, that's Trump's main goal was to resurrect these companies, you know, in the coal industry that was put away because of these new technological advances. Um, and that's the reason why I think he got elected as well, uh, because so many mm -hmm. population mm -hmm. around rely on those certain business yeah. and those businesses won't be around. If, if you really think about it, if I mean, if if solar and wind power took off, there wouldn't be a coal business, I would say, within the next 10 years, mainly because just and the solar and wind is almost as cheap as oil now. Right. Right. It's, it's close. Coming right. Down in price. So that's what Trump can't stop. But right, he's also doing news. all those things by executive order, which was how Obama got them through in the first place. So, I mean, I mean, presuming that the environment can reversing. last another four years, there's this question of if you put another person who is more environmentally conscious in, couldn't they, in 2020. no matter what Congress wanted once again, change those things? And you are seeing resistance to it. So California's, uh, for instance, uh, California's idea that we're just not going to change car emission requirements um, and other states, which 
map their car emission standards to to the state of California, um, that ensures that it's likely that car emission standards won't actually change, which is actually going to be state that's, and industry. That's true. California yeah. is is a savior here, except that California is allowed to have its own higher standard for cars because of something called the EPA waiver. That EPA waiver is uh, was never granted until the Obama administration. So Bush didn't grant it. Uh, it wasn't granted until 2008 mm -hmm. under Obama. He's the first president to grant this waiver, which allows California to set more stringent rules on on uh, emissions. Um, it's very likely that uh, Scott Pruitt and the EPA will deny that waiver when it comes up, which means that California won't be allowed to do these things. And However, there won't be any regulation with that. But the, no. to do that, they have. To, but what Pruitt has to do, and he knows this, he has to now. Uh, amass a large body of scientific evidence to make that case. So it's going to go to the courts. That's what's going to happen. And, and it'll go to the Supreme Court and probably like California. going to happen with a lot of things. And California will probably win. Although, again, the other huge impact of Trump will be the Supreme Court. Because now there's a 5 4 majority. It was 4 4 even. Now it's a 5 4. Judge Scalera passed away, so there's a, an open spot. And I don't, the and guy he put up, did yeah, he get the votes yes, to go through? Yes, he's okay. in now. So, um, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg is 80 years Kennedy old. Kennedy might be leaving also. So he has the power to restructure the Supreme Court for the next 30, that'll be that way for the next 20, 25 years. So that's another place where Trump, the Trump administration, and conservatives know this. That's, um, abortion is one of the reasons why conservatives voted for Trump. Well, he, in his budget, he's cutting all those they knew it was Locations all about it was all about the Supreme those, Court for right. many conservatives about the Supreme Court, and that comes down to abortion. Um, so, and they were right about that. Well, they they said that they don't want to give funding to you know Planned Parenthood and things like that um, because they don't want them to use it for abortion. But there's a law against Planned Parenthood using those funds for abortion anyway. So, you know, it's kind of like it's contradictory a little bit. It came up in a town hall meeting with. Um, one of the guys who created the but budget. But they can't for use Trump. federal funding. Federal for funding that. for right. abortion. So it's like, you know, what are they, what's the harm in keeping But the conservative the right would know? like to have abortion illegal. So mm -hmm. if you go back to pre Roe versus Wade, it was by states. So before Roe versus Wade, about something like 30 states, abortion was illegal, 20 states, it was legal. And then with Roe versus Wade, it said, you know, all states must be, must be legal. Uh, that probably might have been a political mistake. Because that set in place, you know, the, anyway. Well, I think now we see um, one of the, I think one of the, the other ma major hurdles to, to Trump's uh, executive orders has been the courts um, mm -hmm. up until now. And how is it that we're seeing, uh, not, not the Supreme Court, but how are we seeing these lower circuit courts? Uh, where are they getting the spine to stand up to, to Trump? And I think it's <laughs> because you see, four million people marching in the street on Women's Day, right? Um, if, if you want to see where, like, the public resistance to Trump, uh, where is that happening? It's not happening from the Democratic Party at all. Uh, it's happening from... From Republicans. These, yeah. From these... From, from uh, some of them are, are, are Republicans and Democrats, but it's this kind of splintered uh, left with lots of different uh, social media connections who are... Sander Democrats, maybe? Uh, some of them are definitely. Um, 
insofar as they call themselves Democrats. They're uh, still holding on. They want them to go for 2020. I've already seen yeah. the signs. That is unprecedented, um, and it's not coming from the Democratic leadership, no. those protests, that's right, in general. Yeah, and I think this is what's going to uh, – you also see, if, like, if you look at polling around abortion, uh, it's close to 60-something percent of the American public is in favor of uh, a woman's right to choose. Uh, it's just that's I don't I don't see that going anywhere, no matter what the Supreme Court thinks that they're going to do by reversing themselves. Um, I I think you would have eight million people on the streets or. Oh, yeah. Or, I think there would more. totally be a protest. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, there is there is a lot that can be done to uh, resist Trump. And um, I think the biggest danger is not um, environment. I mean, this is just a difference between Bill and I, but um, it's it's not environmental concerns uh, because I think that those can be resisted in the courts. I think the biggest danger is for um, already uh, marginalized groups, so like people of color, uh, people of uncertain uh, uh, immigration status, right? Uh, We see restrictions being lifted on Jeff Sessions, uh, and he's allowing, uh, he's he's just stripped out uh, any reporting that police uh, have have to engage in uh, federally about officer-involved shootings, it's it's we're 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 seeing a huge transformation. I think we're going to see a more brutal um, policing executive arm. This is going to disproportionately affect people uh, of color, and I think it's uh, it's not the kind of thing that resisting at the courts level is going to stop. Um, it's because what you're going to see is dead kids in the streets, right? And it's. Yeah, and he um, he just, not uh, only lost yeah. with the court on the first what was denoted as the travel ban, but it has a real name, <laughs> but he also um, was trying to impose that sanctuary cities have to enforce immigration, mm. you know, uh, welcome immigration police and abide by what they want to enforce, and that was lost in court as well. So I think we're just going to kind of see back and forth, even from Republicans, every time, you know, through the judiciary circles every time he tries to do something. Um, And a good question since I have both of you here, um, what do you think the restrictions are in the classroom as far as saying your opinion? Because you know that students, some of of which are more impressionable and might really take to heart what you say or look up to you. What do you think about sharing uh, when the travel ban was going on this semester? uh, If maybe students asked you about it, what do you think, what kind of guidelines should teachers stick to in the classroom as far as sharing their personal views but keeping that a little neutral for open-mindedness? Um, I generally don't present my personal views, but I think students can sometimes figure it out. You kind of keep it a mystery for the most part? Um, yeah, I've had many, you know, obviously... <laughs> Let them the, read between the lines. I think from the things I'm saying, you know, you would generally put me on the left. Right, yeah. However, in certain ways, I have communitarian sensibilities, and I... Collectively, if they're paying attention, they may put you on yeah, the Yeah, but left. in certain yeah. ways, I think I also have conservative values, depending on how you define these terms. This is interesting because okay. I've, I've had both Bill and Tristan as my professors. They have very different teaching styles. So I'm very interested in this. So, uh, so yeah, so terms like liberal, conservative, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think most people, this is, this kind of sounds bad, most people don't really know the historical pedigree for these terms and the evolution of these terms. They haven't read Russell Kirk or John Rawls or spend a lot of time. Okay, so, I mean, <laughs> most, so I really am hesitant to get into the label game. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in terms of telling my personal views, I'm much more interested in, uh, it's just boring to get up on a soapbox 
and tell someone what to think. Oh, yeah. I mean, unless they're my friends, then I do that. So you just kind of throw. <laughs> my friends, I do that. I You're like, very, my Facebook page is different. But as a teacher, that's boring. Yeah. Why you don't want to just and I know, tell them what you I believe. know a professor at MJC that rant against Obama. Oh, yeah. You know, quite a few. And these courses have nothing to do with humanities. Once, yeah, in the math department. Okay, like so <laughs> so that's really boring, right? Yeah. Like I would like it's also to. Infuriating. I would like to present the arguments and and then see. And if I have, of course, I have a, of course, I have a, a perspective, obviously. Yeah. But I'm interested to see if students doing their own thinking, right, are going to come to what I think is the best position. You want to throw out facts and see what they'll do with it. Yeah. Now. I will say if students repeat things that are clearly false. Right, you have to, you have or to correct. In, or, or engage in what I think is really bad reasoning, I call them out on that. But I call them out on that whether they're on the left or the right. So if a student agrees with me on their views politically, but their reasoning is horrible, I'm not happy about that. So I'll challenge them from a conservative point of view because you want them to think. Because I you treat them, them as adults, and I that. want them to think. It's not my job to plant my ideas in their little heads. Yeah. I trust in their reason. If a student's conservative, but the reasoning's really bad, sure, I'll challenge that. So my conservative students, uh, I think I can safely say, really respect my teaching. Uh, obviously, from what I'm saying here, I'm not, I'm not conservative. Right, exactly. Tristan? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I've I've gone through Dr. a little bit Hassel. of a, yeah, I've, <laughs> it's fine. No, I've I've gone through a transformation in uh, how how I've taught. I used to people would ask me, especially in religion classes, actually uh, more than in uh, on uh, political topics. But they would say, you know, what are your views about this? And I would just say, maybe if you ask me next year when you're not in one of my classes, I'll tell you. Maybe kind of um, counterintuitive now. When yeah, in yeah, that's, and that's, and that's how, how it felt. So I, I tried to kind of keep the mystery alive, and it was a fun guessing game for them. <laughs> Be like, wow, you know, this position, um, it, seems, it seems like today that you're an atheist. Today it seems like you're a theist. Where is he really? Um, but that's, that's, that's changed for me, actually. Um, I, I agree with Bill um, that it's really important to uh, encourage thinking. Um, uh, one of the things that I challenge starting on day one in our classes is the idea that if you're certain of anything, uh, if, you, if you have a certainty and you're, and you're sure that that, that that can't be changed, what that means is that, that, that you've turned your brain off, right? That, that you no longer have to think about the topic. It's, there's nothing which can surprise you. Um, and I think that that's, that that's really bad. Um, but I also don't think that we have to try and, uh, and I don't, I don't think this is what he was saying either, but I don't think we need to pretend as if all arguments um, should be platformed in the same kind of way. And if I have students ask me, um, what do you think about this specific argument? Um, I would absolutely tell them, this is what I think about it. Here is where I see the errors. And here I see, it looks like there's a, a jump in the inference being made between premise one and premise two or something. Um, and I think that that's um, perfectly fine. Um, but I, I, I definitely don't have a problem these days telling people exactly what I think. Um, and part of that is um, I just think that some of these, these, these issues are too important. So I definitely challenge people on um, the left and on and on the right also. Um, I think I'm probably far, far to the left of what any 
Democrat who's in my classroom would be anyways. So I feel, really? yeah, I feel uh, <laughs> no, no problem. That's amazing because I think uh, students are, can be pretty radical at times. So. Um, yeah, sometimes I had a, I had a student this uh, semester who, when we went around and we said our 45 second introduction about ourselves, he, he introduced That's himself as day. an anarcho-communist and right. he was like, I mean, I'm in the tradition of it. He had all of the names and I was like, wow, that's really impressive. Um, but <laughs> that was different. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not what I expected. I wanted to hear about your dog. Um, but, no, but it was, yeah, I think that it is a, um, important thing that we also don't pretend, um, and I, and I have had teachers who've done this in my own educa uh, educational career, that we don't pretend that all arguments are equally as good as every other, and that there's not always two sides to certain ethical topics or political topics or religious conversations either. Sometimes there are many, uh, and sometimes there are not good arguments on both sides of a specific thing. Um, mm. And those are things that we explore in the class. I don't, I don't, I don't just tell them, uh, but we. Yeah, I think it took know, a long time for things. me to get you to be like, yeah, there's holes in deontology. Like <laughs> that oh, took yeah. so long. Like you can <laughs> pose the question anyway. But yeah, it should. I think it should get to the point. Like when I was um, through email advising some of Dr. Hassel's students, um, I was saying that nobody should technically know how you feel personally when you're presenting your arguments. You should be going based on the philosopher. So I think you do a good job of that in a lecture, and then you just kind of let them decide. But you kind of you don't really hold punches as far as the other stuff. And I think that can be really refreshing because a lot of teachers just kind of like circle around it. And we're like, we know how you feel. Like we can tell, like just say what you're <laughs> thinking. We'd probably like it, you know, because we kind of like things to be a little brass. And I, I especially do this with uh, extra credit assignments. So, totally. So there are things which I would assign for extra credit that I would never assign for a standard work in a course. Um, and if it's a book that I really enjoy, um, I, this uh, semester in business ethics, I assigned a book called Inventing the Future. Um, it's, it's about a post-capital world, uh, a world without work, right? Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, and I love who's it. the it's, author of this amazing book? <laughs> it's by uh, Nick Schrinicek and Alex Williams. It's a really good book. Uh, and I would never assign that in a normal uh, reading for the, for the course. It's just something that I really enjoyed and I thought that it had... Um, some really interesting arguments about all the topics that we were discussing, uh, but from a very specific ultra-left uh, position. Nice. And the end of capitalism. And <laughs> really quick, guys, if you guys are listening, you're, you're probably saying, what the heck is going on with all these authors and whatnot? What the heck are they talking about deontology? Um, you guys will understand once you guys take business, uh, 2090 business ethic. Uh, or any philosophy 101. Or any philosophy. But then the, the, the core thing is a lot of this relates back to business, and it sets the foundation for for, prop, for proper ethical decisions within and business. Social responsibility. Right. And especially if you hear us talking about, oh, you know, the Trump administration and this and that. What we have to realize, especially as students, professors, teachers, and any citizens here in the United States, is that the administration, the president right now, any president would initially set our economy for the next 20, 30 years, depending on the decision they make, ethically, unethically, and whatnot. And it will affect all of us, every single individual, especially as a college student who's going to come out. So that we have to take in, in respect. And we have to put ourselves in a position where we would do things that's 
more ethically better for us and for the peers around us. And that's essentially why we're talking a lot of po- politics and, you know, bringing up a lot more ethical stuff. I feel like New's going to end up being a politician. He just, he really knows how to bop. But then that's the thing, though. Like, I don't like politics. I hate politics. I mean, How do you feel about the tuition going up? It's almost doubling, right? For I know. Oh, well, there was a uh, get-together yesterday uh, here's of protesters for okay, so tuition like, increase I mean, for the CSU system. I took, like, a two-year break away from college. I started college in 2010. And during then, it was a little bit above 2000 and my for, summer for what? 2000 for t- two thousand dollars for a full-time tuition uh for during a semester? semester okay right slightly a bit above two thousand right now i pay two thousand two hundred for two classes during summer so that just shows the inequality uh, full-time this it's re- it's re- it, the price is going really high um and as new studies show it's very hard to obtain a job after college now because there's such a uh, uh, there's so many students who are coming out of college right now um, and the market is just flooded with degrees. So, yeah. Specifically business degrees, right? A lot right? of those Especially being business, business degrees, degrees, right, Dr. Hassel? Right, <laughs> and, and we all know as business students, supply of demand, you know? Mm. So there's, there's a lot more supply, um, but we, we're just going to have to, you know, you, you're just, everyone's just going to have to find their purpose, you know? And I think that's where, and it goes back with ethics and, you know, whatnot, but I, I think once you know your purpose, it really doesn't matter. But also, it's not just something that happens. It's not like the, the costs are just going up because they've recently hired so many right. tenure-track professors at Stan State that they just they just need more money. Um, it's not that at all. Um, it's that there's specific decisions being made about how uh, this university will be structured. Uh, and if you don't like that, and if you don't like what it does to you financially, um, then you should organize a group of people. And you should call bullshit on that. And, and you get should a call lot bullshit. of your friends together yeah. and go do something about it. <laughs> Yeah. Which is what they did yesterday, is that they, they sent out a mass email. Um, I don't know if you, did you get it now? I don't think so. Okay, so it might have been like under the books, because they oh. like sent this mass email out. Not cool enough to get it. About like yeah. this happening. And I was like, cool, I got the email. Like somebody thinks that I should get this email. Right. But they, they did it yesterday. I think President June even might have went out there and talked to some students about it. But um, yeah, it was a big deal. They're, they're still talking about it. But basically, the trustees um, have voted to put through the tuition increase, which they haven't done um, for several years. So that's why it's such a big deal. Because we have student trustees, so it's like, what's happening? How did this get pushed through? (laughs) Yeah. What do you think, Bill? Um, So I think it's probably a good strategy to do your homework on that stuff. And that means there's a budget for the CSU system. Mm Mm-hmm. What I read perc- the, the public document. What percent of the budget goes for teaching? What percent goes for admin operations? <laughs> um, so they have track, a lot of expenses. And track the, so you want to track uh, trends over time. Mm-hmm. And then what percentage of the state budget goes to the CSU system? So I read, I read about then, 17 pages of that. And, and then you would look at tax rates. Explain. On the very rich in California. Right. Uh, have those tax rates gone up or down? Hmm. Um, and then you can ask really, really hard questions around the issue of fairness. So I do think that if you're in a society that is, you know, a Game of Thrones situation, okay, where... <laughs> I feel like we're in that situation. <laughs> well, we're not. So if you're in a situation like that, it'd be idiotic to expect medical care or um, universities and those kinds of things. But we're not in that kind of situation. We do have the resources. 
So. We definitely do. Um, yeah. So for, with the last part, I actually want to ask Bill about his book, uh, Professor Nelly. Um, it's called The Truth of This Life, um, and it's some, um, it's, I believe it's edited Zen Talks in the content. So let all of our students know about it so that they can hopefully go out and read it. Okay. Um, so a few years ago, before I came to MJC, I lived in Santa Cruz, and I was part of the Santa Cruz Zen Center. Uh, and I had a Zen teacher. Her name was Catherine Thanis. And uh, she was 40 years old when she came to Zen in San Francisco. Um, and before that, she was a writer, a journalist, among other things. Um, so she would, it's very simple, she would give Zen talks and then she would kind of write them up in a newsletter. And they were so good that I, I talked to her about making a book out of it. Uh, fast forward to about four years ago, I left the Zen Center, I'm now in Modesto, I'm teaching. Uh, I end up taking a writing retreat with a friend of hers, Natalie Goldberg, who helped create the genre of creative writing, helped to do that oh, wow. through a book called Writing Down the Bones. And I approached her and said, let's edit all these, all these talks. And uh, Catherine, my Zen teacher, was was still alive, and so we presented it to her, and she said, fine. Uh, then she died two weeks after we agreed to do this. Wow. She fell in the bathroom and hit her head and, and, had a, and died. Um, and so for the past three years, Natalie and I have been bringing these, editing these talks into a format. That must have taken yeah, a considerable amount of time. A lot of my through. summers, yeah. mostly. Um, and so Shambhala Press, which is a premier um, press in the United States for Eastern writing, Eastern philosophy, uh, Eastern religion, uh, for the public, it's a non-academic press. Uh, they will be, the book will be coming out in, um, in January. And I've written wow, an introduction to the book, Natalie wrote a piece, and a couple other important people in the Zen world uh, have written pieces for this. And the talks are, um, they're not, they're not philosophical talks. They're, um, they're not telling you A, B, C, what Buddhism is. Yeah, she has a writing style that's, that's very uh, literary. She makes lots of references to poetry. And she just brings you into it. I, I, I can't explain, but you just read these and you're kind of, Experiencing Zen as you read these talks. It's not, these talks are not, you know, philosophical. In fact, when I studied with her, she kept telling me to get out of my head. Because you were thinking like a yeah, philosopher. I was thinking all the time, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I think the book is fantastic. And um, the basic idea, the very simple idea, is every moment to be fully present. It's kind of a cliche, but fully be fully present where you are really right here. I feel like that could help a lot of students. Like it can. Don't, don't be checked out. Be fully present where you are. And if you do that, that means being fully present with all your contradictions. So all of us are full of contradictions. Okay, We have our hidden parts that we like to keep hidden. Maybe for good reason. <laughs> and you, what you want to do is you want to exhaust those things exhaust your contradictions in every moment 
and that's what we're talking about living really fully right here right now i feel like you should also teach yoga just like on the side <laughs> like <laughs> like full schedule philosophy so and then like his eighth period yoga. can be just yoga so an important practice in in Zen and Soto Zen and all Buddhism, Soto Zen is called Zazen or just sitting. So a key component of this is a regular sitting practice where you're sitting still maybe for an hour a day. I think that's fascinating because it actually takes a lot of time. And you just watch to be just still and you like watch that. your mind. You don't add you don't add or subtract to your mind, you just watch it. Yeah, it takes I a actually lot. took your advice so when I took Bill's class, I remember he told me that he thought I was like a really like stressed student and that I should look into <laughs> yoga. And I was just like, Whatever, screw you. And then like a couple months later they were like, You need one more activity requirement, like to graduate. And I was like, oh, F it, I'll just take the yoga class. So I took it, and it took me, like, months to learn to just, like, sit quiet and, like, you know, yeah. do the breathing. And I was like, what are we doing? Like, we're not, this is not. It's a weird thing like, to I'm do. Like, I'm not, I'm you're used not, to getting things done. You're not doing anything. And you're not doing it. You're not It took me doing, so long to get used to that. Like, I feel like doing, I need. You're right here. Just right. to do that, quiet, without moving. Do you have an itch? It really calmed me down. You watch that itch. If your thought it's, says this is stupid crazy. and boring, you just watch that thought that is stupid and boring. Yeah. See, I get that's the great. same feeling, but I do it with weightlifting. Like yeah. A, a yeah. Olympic weightlifting is like violent. I know guys who love reason, yoga like, too. It calms yeah. my nerves. Yeah, when you just got the weight yeah. over your head. I think and that's... You're just, and you're There's zone. lots of ways to do Because there are yeah. breathing like, techniques, and I feel like that's right. the most important You part. hear that, business students? Time to go get your book, man. Learn the art is in. Get your yoga mats ready. Oh, Yeah. Maybe Bill will be. So one <laughs> one thing I want to emphasize is that um, we usually have, most people usually have a running commentary in their head. Like you usually have a little right. person in there that's talking all the time. Right? You have your thoughts often. She never shuts up. <laughs> and so this is where you're, um, you're, you can't stop that, but you can watch it. Right? You can maybe minimize it. You, that's a thought too. She can't do that. You can watch the thoughts, including the thought that you want to get something out of it. You watch that too. So in a way, philosophically, it's a negation of negation of negation if you want to go there. But that would take so long for all me you're doing to is honestly watching. Do. Not just be it's, like, oh, I get it. <laughs> you just sit and you, whatever comes up for you, you just watch it. It's that simple. So if you're doing that doing weightlifting, great. Right. You're, you're, and you're watching, like, what am I doing this weekend? Right. Who am I going to party with? You're just watching that thought. What thought assignment that. I have to do when I get home? Uh -huh. And you just watch that. So you're not identifying with your thoughts. Wow. You're creating a gap between your thoughts and feelings and something else. Nice. That's the trick. So when's your book coming out, Dr. Hassel? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wiggled with obscenities. Tell <laughs> <laughs> me. Yeah. Not anytime soon. I don't really believe what I wrote in my dissertation. <laughs> I am under contract for it, but. Uh, you are? Yeah. Well, definitely yeah. let me know when you get that All going right. so you can You have it. a ton of publications. You have he a does. Ton. He's, pub you have a, you have he's published everywhere, mm -hmm. so I, you can find it pretty much. All right. Well, guys, it's it's getting really close to that time now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're signing off. You heard it here. Yeah, the absolutely, guys. Uh, yeah, definitely stay on track, guys. This is new. And, and Alyssa, we'll see you next time. Yeah, we're with the Grapevines, guys. You heard it from us first. And thank you so much, Dr. Thank Hassel, you very much. for coming in Thanks today. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciate totally that. Totally at the jackpot with you. Absolutely. Too. And this is your business podcast signing out, guys. Thank you. Thank you.